0: Hello, you're listening to the mid Meets podcast and this episode we're talking to Pendle Poucher of SoundDust. Pendle creates all kinds of fantastical instruments uh, for contact using real-world organic sounds and combining them with the modern technology of contact to create instruments that we literally couldn't have in real life. He's made all kinds of things, and I caught up with him only a few weeks ago to discuss what he makes, and the first question I asked him was about his musical beginnings. Interesting
1: question. Um, I remember hearing, actually it was, hearing sounds first that I really liked, and there were things there was, and I know it really well, journey to the bottom of the sea... Or something like that. I say I know it really well. I can't remember what it's called. It was a program about it had a submarine, and they had the sonar ping. I absolutely fucking loved <laughs> as a kid, and I've spent my whole life trying to recreate that that sound, which I managed to do actually by pinging a hamster cage, which was very as close as I've ever come to that thing. But um, yeah, so I definitely started off liking kind of sounds first, kind of um, little earworm sounds, and then totally got into music. Uh, I don't know, in my early teens and got a guitar and started my, started my first band a week later and then was just like, yeah, this is, this is much better than anything else I was likely to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of um, done everything I can never to have a proper job since then and to kind of do anything related to making noises, be it music noises or noises. Basically, mm.
0: and what do you think it was about the submarine, the radar ping? I don't know.
1: Sound? The, it was possibly because I loved. I, I made made possibly had a seven year old crush on the lead lady in the program as well. But it was maybe as a kind of weird psychosexual thing as well. <laughs> 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 but um, it was, I don't know. There was just something. It had a, just a quality that I'd never really heard before, and it just was really fascinating to me. And then. Um, and Marine Boy, there was this Japanese animation called Marine Boy, which was all water-based as well, which, which just had really great sound design. And it's still, I think you can find, I did look it up recently, it is on YouTube. I mm-hmm. mean, i will give my age away a bit. Um, so this would be in the 70s, I suppose, when I was a kid. And, uh, and you know, because stuff was a bit crap, really. Although you had, you know, occasional amazing pop music, like um, David Essex, Rock On. It's an amazing sounding record, you know, even today. And at the time, it was kind of mind-blowing. And then, you know, you start getting uh, uh, kind of uh, Autobahn by Kraftwerk kind of was in the charts and various stuff like that. So there was kind of early electronic music. And, um, but yeah, also, you know, I got a guitar was this was kind of I was a kind of just about old enough to be a really 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 junior punk as well so it was that whole thing which was you know it's corny to say it but it was quite life-changing in the sense that it was like you know I'm not a posh kid who's done music lessons but god I can do music and it was an absolute absolute amazing kind of like opening of like wow so I can do music mm-hmm. and that was it really
0: yeah and and i guess also expressing yourself and sort of establishing who you are yeah as a person
1: but yeah and, and you know i was i was a you know firmly addicted to i got all the music well the good music press enemy and melody maker every week and kind of you know knew everything about everything i had a encyclopedic knowledge of all music from the kind of 80s onwards for a while and uh sorry i'm drinking coffee go for it but yeah sorry
0: yeah, and just to go to Marine Marine point, Is this a animation? Is it? Yeah, it's
1: a kind of a, it's an anime before we knew what anime was. Oh, wow. And in my mind, it was brilliantly weird and freaky and kind of like, what the hell are we watching this for? kind of a thing. But maybe it's terrible, I don't know, but I don't think it was. It was something weirdly magical and kind of Japanese about it, which if you're in the East Midlands in the 70s was just like quite mind-blowing. Yeah. And um
0: because, uh, I mean, I mean it, instantly when you mentioned the sound effect of the radar, I'm thinking Thunderbirds in my head yeah, yeah. when I was a child. And they always did have the call, like, some call. Uh, well,
1: th- I think that yeah, there, was, uh, there was also Captain Scarlet had the, this the voice of the Mr. Ons, and just thing, which was really great as well.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: But, uh, so yeah, now my ears were always kind of pricking up to kind of great noises from that period of my life. Cool. And where, where in the East Midlands did you grow up? I came I come from a small village in the which is between Nottingham and Lincoln. I could see Lincoln from my village mm-hmm. and um, but Nottingham was weirdly closer, I'm not sure why. But so yeah, brought up in the kind of absolute sorry, East Midlands, but an absolute sh- shithole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one goes to the Unashamed borders of Nottingham and Lincoln unless they really need to. But that does give you a kind of a whole, you know, a, a whole different kind of you're used to being an outsider because you are <laughs> if you're in the East Midlands. And, you know, seemingly the, the the East Midlands has not had much of a COVID issue, probably because no one's ever left and no one ever goes there. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of in this kind of permanent no quarantine, of people yeah, way, yeah. except people going to Skegness, but that's people within the <laughs> county anyway. So, yeah, it's a weird netherworld. It just it's. Well, it's just middle everything.
0: Yeah, I f- I'm from I'm from I guess the West Midlands, oh, okay. and um, so yeah, it's which is li- pretty at least. It is very pretty. <laughs> it's very, but it, it's like it is sparsely um, populated, mm. and it is sort of one of those places people go, uh, yeah. like where's that? Yeah. So yeah, the Midlands is this sort of a yeah, bit of a and you and you and you have and to make an effort
1: to do anything, which I think is really you know like even when I was a, an older teenager, I had to cycle seven miles to go to the pub of an evening, kind of thing, and that's. And when I actually, when I moved to London, I w- and you know and I had Londoner friends who would like you know oh what, I'm going more than three stops in the tube you've got to be joking, <laughs> got to be joking mate, and that that sense of making an effort to do anything was kind of a, you know they didn't need to because everything was on the doorstep and I think it's it's in a way quite uh, a good thing that you're kind of from an early age used to kind of making an effort and it makes things more worthwhile when you kind of achieve them almost.
0: Um, Definitely. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So you um, you played the guitar then. Yeah. Um, did you that? When did you sort of start experimenting with other sounds or making other sounds? Uh,
1: when I got a, oh, well, as soon as I, well, it was all a friend bought an early synthesizer. Actually, bought a Moog Rogue back in that time as well, and uh, which we spent many hours making farty noises with, and then got a bit bored. Mm-hmm. But I got a uh, a Melos. Uh, bucket uh, brigade delay, which I absolutely loved, and you, you know you could crank it up, get it in overdrive mode, and then start playing around with the delay times and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time making dreadful noises with that as well, mm. and that was yeah part of the journey, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that I I think that's the same thing. I, I mean, I've spent hours and possibly years making terrible sounding noises, mm. but yeah, that is where it leads you to being in later life, being able to like hone in on the good stuff and. Sort of avoid <laughs> I'm not even or. sure I'm entirely <laughs> sure about that
1: but so, but just worse just to continue <laughs> continue the same mucking about I mean essentially you know it's I've managed to carve out a career which allows me to muck about most of the time I say career that's entirely the wrong word but I've managed to continue mucking about for most of my life and which I think you know I'm very grateful for
0: definitely i think having that childlike sense of adventure and keeping that is really uh yeah it's really precious and really important because a lot of people try and grow up too quickly and um yeah they maybe lose their sense of imagination and uh well yes which
1: well thank god they do because it makes space for
0: (laughs) it makes space for other people to
1: to abuse that that hole that's left
0: (laughs) definitely how did Sound Dust come about and how did
1: uh, where did that? Like both things, about? it was semi-accidentally. Um, I So, yeah, I, I mean, I can give you a quick potted history. I So I uh, did a film degree, because that seemed like a really cool thing to do if you're from the East Midlands. So I ended up moving to Reading, did a film degree there, which, to, um, well kind of doing band stuff as well or trying to and I ended up doing loads of kind of soundtracks and stuff for plays and and short films then usually you know with things like a a delay pedal only and and, you know so it was necessity being the mother of invention um made me realize I absolutely didn't want to make films because there was just too many people involved I I I I like collaborativeness but I kind of quite like doing things on my own as well and film yeah and uh, as a result, so yes, finished there, went to London, did more band stuff, kind of did a quite a lot of gigging around London while doing kind of crap jobs, trying to get proper jobs in the film industry, did a lot of, because of my connections from college, did a lot of kind of uh, running and first ADing and various kind of industry stuff. Realised I really hated the film <laughs> industry on all levels.
0: What films, uh, What I mean, what films like... Got you into that? Like, what sort of things? So i well, studying you? film.
1: Yeah, uh, I was always into. I was always a pretentious little shit, um, to be honest. And that was also massively thanks to things like uh, The Enemy and The Melody Maker. At that time, they had kind of really great writers like Paul Morley and and what, and, and Julie Birchill To a certain extent, it was very much about kind of uh, looking at things from a from a potentially pretentious but from a kind of an artistic viewpoint kind of a thing rather than just the kind of you know glum everyday, whatever you call it but you know it's always about trying to find magic in things really Hmm. and uh so i kind of got into film a lot thank also i remember there was a a uh, season of John L. Goddard movies, which I made my parents sit through, which is quite often quite embarrassing. Because um, that was the time when you had one telly in the living room, and if you wanted to watch something, then everyone had to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, gone are those days. <laughs> gone are those days, in good and bad ways. Um, but absolutely, totally, John L. Goddard movies are awful and fantastic in equal measure. So, uh, it's funny, I actually watched Alphaville again the other day, and it's kind of terrible, but it's kind of brilliant. And uh, and that's what, I I love that tension of, of like, well, it's doing stuff in an interesting way or in a deliberately obscure and annoying way, but that in itself is a kind of brilliant act of rebellion, which is what, you know, Jean-Luc Godard is all about, kind of thing. Although, yeah, I've actually watched Weekend as well recently, which, which holds up really well. Um... But it's just that thing of kind of pushing it a little bit further than normal people would and I really like that and you know, even though often you fall asleep halfway through a Jean-Luc Godard film, you are so inspired by it, nevertheless, just by the kind of ideas that are floating around and the kind of, you know, the joy of of just doing stuff because you can and why not, Mm. kind of thing, so.
0: Great, yeah, what about, do do you watch any Andre Tarkovsky films? Mm.
1: I'm a bit, I'm a bit behind on some of that. So, you know, I've done, uh, st- he did Stalker, didn't he? And, yeah. um And the other one, Solaris. That's, Solaris, that's yeah, us, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's, there was a bit of that. I mean, that's the thing, you were relying on BBC Two to whatever seasons they were on, you kind of grabbed what you could, you know. In the East Midlands, there was not a lot of art cinema and I was only about 14 at the time anyway, so, you know, it was a bit tricky.
0: Hmm. But And did the sounds drive you in those, to go to yeah. into the film stuff?
1: Well, I mean, in- interestingly, like someone, Jean-Luc Godard, I don't know, I keep going on about him, it's just one of many. Um, he's, he, although he did do a film called British Sounds, which is about sound-ish, but he it was more visual than oral in those days, I think. But when I got to film school, and, you know, you're literally watching two or three films a day and writing essays on them and... Bloody, bloody, blah, and that was just brilliant and massively eye opening. And I, you know, I met like minded people, and it was uh, one of those absolutely life changing experiences, which is, you know, exactly what I wanted it to be kind Definitely. of thing. Absolutely useless to get a job afterwards. <laughs> um, I had an interview to work at Brookside, and I think that was about the only thing I ever got out of it. Wow, <laughs> the, the, the lift puddle Yeah, and, uh, I, and I went up and sat in one of the on. rooms in Brookside and was interviewed and then didn't get the job.
0: Wow. They had quite a good synthy. Theme tune. (laughs) In terms of (laughs) eighties. Yes, it was was very. It was very eighties. It was very eighties. Yeah. um, Oh, that's
1: brilliant. But you know, I ended up being a cinema projectionist, um, kind of part time, which was hilarious, and and I was a preview projectionist in uh, Soho House. So I was actually showing three or four unseen films a day with. Two projectors doing changeovers with reels of film and all this kind of stuff. And I used to show, kind of do screenings for Barry Norman and stuff like that, who would then go and do reviews on the telly about, about you know, films he'd, I'd shown him. Amazing. And because you know, it was a private members club, so, you know, I remember I don't know, Nick Cave crying his eyes out at some very obscure Russian film about carrying your dead mum around for two hours and all that kind of stuff, so that was quite funny. But, um, but although the problem with that was that no one else really saw the films. That, so I, just, I was seeing loads of films, but no one else, because they hadn't been released yet, you couldn't really talk about them with <laughs> <were> many people <laughs> other, than, yeah. other than Barry Norman and, and Nick Cave, who, who wasn't very chatty about the whole process. Yeah,
0: that is an interesting sort of brilliant and slightly frustrating <laughs> situation. Yes. I, I, yeah, for me it's a bit like going to the cinema by yourself not and not having like someone there with you to go oh did you yeah. see that bit with the but at the same time it's, and it's often annoying when someone's with it. you
1: because they're kind of poking again. what about that but yeah no, i mean that's you know lockdown i really miss sneaking off to the cinema i love going off in an afternoon and seeing something in which brighton is great for it's got yeah. you know two two and a half kind of art house screening rooms kind of thing and it's brilliant for that
0: Absolutely fantastic.
1: Well, uh, Lewis Depot as well. Yeah, I which you see is, a couple of independent yeah.
0: films there. And there's like me and my friend yeah. in there, and no one and else. And it's got
1: it's got the third best sound system in the country, apparently. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it function one? <laughs> because it's got the whole Dolby Atmos thing going on, I think, or one of that, anyway. Because it's because right. it's co-sponsored by the BFI. Yeah. But yeah, I think I saw my last movie at the depot before it all happened. <laughs> Oh, was I going through my life story? God. Potted history. Oh yes, to, to lead um, up to bands. The... So yeah, did oh before that actually, yeah. So I was in uh, moved to London. Bands joined a band who got quite successful. We kind of were signed to Rough Trade and end uh, had a bit had a bidding war. Signed to BMG, spent a fortune. Did a first album for barely anything. Got great press. Spent a fortune on the second album, which got terrible press or not very good press. Um, so did the kind of whole band thing for a while for a good few years, kind of you know touring recording mm-hmm. we were recording in Rockfield just as in Wales just as the Stone roses were finishing off their second album and we got the first ever play in the studio We got
0: it played to us wow nice it's terrible terrible album their second album <laughs> yes. yeah there's just there's just that one track isn't there um
1: the, the, the
0: there's this one that sort of carried over from their second album, which everyone just about was managing to hang on to. Yeah,
1: but then it was just this awful kind of rock odyssey. Yeah, was dreadful.
0: Yeah, but that's so. What was the name of the band, if you don't mind?
1: Sharing? We were called. I've always only ever been in bands with terrible names. Uh, we Good were ball. called Butterfly Child, and we uh, were kind of you know the kind of shoegaze kind of scene kind of thing. And well, you know, did got amazing press. Everything we ever did was single in the week of. of, of all the major rock press but not many people bought the records which mm-hmm. didn't help so yeah did a few years of that and then it kind of fizzled out for various reasons uh then that's when i started doing kind of tv well tv film music stuff through i got involved in um I got involved with a uh, group of artist stroke architects called FAT, who were this kind of thing in London at the time. It was a kind of uh, joint, kind of coll- um, collaborative movement. And we did amazing, really large scale kind of art projects um, around London uh, and the festival hall and various things. And cl- like the, we did a project for the Laurie Anderson Meltdown, which was a while ago. Uh, Called 0800, which involved this. This is the de- days of phone boxes and uh, uh, prostitutes. And you used to get cards in phone boxes, so mm-hmm. call this number for a good time. And we actually, it was my idea. We, for this project for the South Bank, we basically just printed up loads of 0800, which was free phone numbers, cards, and encouraged people to phone those, but it wasn't for prostitutes it was for you know what do you think of the sky all, all this kind of stuff and then we had this um, managed to install a, a garden shed right in the middle of the foyer of the royal festival hall which we kind of relayed the messages that had been kind of phoned in from which was you know brilliantly stupid project nice and, and uh, which was great uh, did a thing with bus stops where we had 10 central london bus stops kind of each given to an artist who kind of turned them into something completely different um that was for another kind of festival thing we did i did one which i kind of reversed the sound of the bus stop it was a stealth bus stop so it was we completely mirrored it so it was like a kind of one of those stealth um planes and i reversed the sound so i kind of had it miked up in a way so that when the bus was coming from one way it had kind of hidden speakers that made the sound bus sound like it was coming from the opposite direction oh nice. and it also had this kind of soundtrack kind of burbling away in the background which was uh that was a really good project, actually. And you know, Square Pusher did a, did a bus stop as well. and, and uh, Really? Wow. God, I not quite a few other people have kind of done quite well since then. I can't remember any of them are, though, sadly. It was quite a while ago. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You do often get that, don't you, with the reflection of sound sometimes. Is there's some, some object in exactly. one location, you can totally. Well, not exactly, know in Brian, because you're always catching going. the
1: waves coming from the wrong directions because they're reflecting off a building. And yeah, that's how I was kind of working with kind of phase cancellation and just miking things up. It kind of worked better in principle than in than in fact <laughs> in the bus mm-hmm. drop, but It was a really nice effect.
0: Have you ever? I mean, the Doppler effect's quite quite a yeah. nice effect, isn't it? Um, did you ever go to Fort Process? Yes, I it? was. Yes. Yeah, I was oh, the, okay.
1: the less one a couple of years ago. Yes, actually, I put I put some proposals in for that, but never got selected annoyingly mm-hmm, I, was, I was doing Yeah, actually it wasn't a Doppler thing it was just I watched just wanted to have a thing pinging backwards and forwards across one of their huge corridors kind of thing but maybe it just wasn't very interesting
0: yeah I, I guess they were pretty booked up but yeah, yeah there was like a miniature Doppler effect thing which was like um, a thing that was um, propelled by the wind and it, or each of these little capsules had were just emitting like a, a single sine wave tone. Oh, so it was, but they were spinning round like that, so, so it's they ever going away from you. Yeah, kind of sort of. But if you ran round with it, it would be it would was, be, a, okay. be a single tone. Oh, but right. if you just stood there, it would like ew 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 ew. It's, yeah, nice. And it's the thing, you know, simple and nice. Super simple. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 like when you walk up there, you don't know what it's gonna do. You don't imagine it's anything to do with the Doppler effect. You just get closer and go. Oh look! All the it its it, it seems to be emitting sounds that are pitching down, and then if you run around with it, you're like, "Oh, that's amazing! That's really cool! Yeah. Super simple." Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it might be nice for like a synth, uh, uh, an instrument, wouldn't it? Like a. Well, you know, obviously, freaks. I do
1: walk around my whole life going, "Is that an interest? Can I make something out of that?" And you know, if I actually dreamt an instrument last night, I've just realised, oh, which just seemed like a brilliant idea in my dream, and I'm processing it a little bit it's not quite as good as it thought in my as I thought in my dream but um yes no i am I am constantly looking at things that can be turned into other things that could be then another thing and usually you know they do end up being an entirely different thing to the thing I started off that the thing was in the first place that was the thing mm-hmm. You mm. a get my drift yeah sort of thing, <laughs> thing, it's process it's all evolution yes <laughs> yes exactly
0: yeah because i think i mean you a lot of your things are um sort of hybrid or, or like impossible instruments aren't they um well yeah i mean that's the, the joy of the digital age isn't it is that
1: you can make something kind of out of yeah you can make it well and Back to your original question, how did SoundDust start? It actually started when I co-bought a dulcetone with a, a, a composer friend, and it was kind of fucked, really. So, um, so I thought, oh, okay, I'll sample it and then we can at least use it. And then sampled it and thought, oh, we have got an instrument here, and, and thought, oh. And this was quite a long time ago, before, you know, before there really was much of a sample industry. And I originally put it on eBay, and um, just sold it on eBay a bit, and then it kind of, it kind of took off. On there's a couple of forums. Kind of, we're like, oh, this is quite interesting, and then it kind of, you know, bloomed very, very slowly from there. You know, I wasn't called Sounddust for a good few years, mm-hmm. and um, and I would, you know, do one or two instruments a year. It was just like, oh, it was a bit of fun, um, which is, you know, still is a bit of fun, hopefully, and it kind of slowly developed from there. And, you know, had I tried that now when the the mark is so massively saturated, uh, you know, I would have disappeared without a trace, I think. But, you know, a uh, a dulcetone is one of those brilliant instruments that sounds great. And everyone goes, that's really nice. Mm. So, you know, I was very lucky in that respect um, to get a broken dulcetone.
0: (laughs) Definitely. And even being broken, I think the beauty of using samples is if it is, If it doesn't, if it isn't pitched right, you can you can pitch it and you can make it stable. You can stabilize it. I think there's one of your instruments. I was watching the video for the rubber bass, Uh and you said actually when you play this instrument, it's not in tune at all. But like the beauty of what you do now is that you're able to.
1: Yeah, you can make it kind of more playable than the actual real thing is playable. And you know, and you can make things playable that can never be playable, like the kind of cloud instruments where you're kind of bowing uh, violas and cellos with Impossible bows, mm. kind of thing is is you know yeah that's the principle of that yes you can't do the kind of expressiony stuff that a real violinist or whatever can do but you can you can make a sound that they could never make and make it kind of playable in a way that it can never be playable. And Definitely, that's, yeah. You know, yeah, that's that's what kind of interests me as well.
0: Uh, yeah, and for example, there's another one. Uh, you can play two notes on the same string on your instruments. Yes, which. It's very difficult to do on a guitar, which is really cool when you think about it. Yeah, it's like, yes. a very good point, actually. yeah. I think, no, you mentioned that in one of your videos. Did I? Yeah, 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 yeah. God, you've done well. If you have watched some of
1: my rambling videos.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm into that stuff. I'm into it. Um Yeah, so I, I released Junkyard Percussion, which oh, okay. was um, my nan and granddad's, my granddad's tool shed on his farm, recorded on that in about 2013, which... Started my career in the sample industry and then working in the music industry, doing all kinds of things. Wow. But just from being in my granddad's uh, f- exactly, farm,
1: yeah. Um, it's, it's it's the kind of it's those happy accidents that kind of somehow take off, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but you're right. It's a quite a very saturated industry, but it is now. Um, I think what you've you've sort of carved out a. Uh, you haven't carved out a niche because you started <laughs> off doing what you wanted to. do. It wasn't like a marketing well, decision. Not a niche because no one. You know, yeah, I mean.
1: I've got, a really, I've got a really healthy and very, uh, what's the word, just nice user base. And, you know, I don't do all the advertising stuff and I, I'm rubbish at social, excuse me, I'm rubbish at social media. It just kind of irritates me really and, you know, I kind of lurk a bit but I've got no desire to kind of give my opinions about absolutely everything. And, you know, I don't think anyone really is very interested either.
0: No, I've recently quit... Uh, it's very social move. media, Twitter, after reading a book um, called 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social Media Account Now right. by a guy called Jared Lanier who is behind virtual reality, the development okay. of virtual reality a long time ago and halfway through reading that book I deleted my Twitter account deactivated it. Because of all the stuff that's going on behind the surface. Yeah, and my own addiction, my, yeah. my own... Growing addiction to it and reliance upon it, and, and everyone, yeah. So, um, yeah, good move. I just wanted to say to you that um, in Russia they have this phrase uh, which they do say, which is impossible is possible. Uh-huh. And I thought that that would really suit the sort of the instruments, of, like what you're doing is like yeah. the impossible is now. Possible. But that's
1: yeah, and then, but that's the digital, digital age as a whole, I suppose, and it's just a case of which direction you want to take those possibilities, I guess. And there's also that the the Japanese wabi sabi thing as well, which is kind of to do with kind of broken beauty kind of thing, which um you know I may have got it slightly wrong there, but in my head it's about broken beauty. Right. Oh, and cool. That's a thing as well, which I quite like. The Absolutely idea of.
0: imperfect. I mean, yeah. I've written down here. Artifacts and imperfection and unpredictability, so those are things that just came into my head while looking through your experience. That could just be that because I'm really crap at doing it. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: is that angle, <laughs> but uh, I you know, I just, uh, I just think if there's loads of proper stuff, and what the world needs is more improper stuff, and that's yeah, that would be my niche, I suppose. And you know, why well, there's no point me doing a perfect piano because there's a million perfect pianos out there, but you know, there's not. You know, I think I've done the only ships piano, and I've done the only. You know, I've done things sponge with, piano. Yes, but yeah, with pianos that people may or may not have done, but I feel like I was <laughs> I've done them better or first or something.
0: Definitely, no, they're brilliant instruments. I think they're full of character, and, yeah. and they do stand out in there. Yeah, um, and
1: yeah, and that's yeah. They're not kind of you're not going to use them every day, or maybe well, I do, but um, you're not. Yes, they're they're kind of speciality in a way, but you know, you need that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you describe how you, how you made either one of those, the the sponge piano pack or... um... Sponge piano
1: was... It's kind of went through various evolutions of, you know, it was trying to do piano harmonics and stuff like that and then getting kind of frustrated because you couldn't really do it or you could, but it was so complicated to try and get things in the right place. You know, because bear in mind, I tend to do everything myself, um because then I can just put the full level of kind of farting around rather than kind of having to kind of be do it properly and um, you know my my techniques are very uh, my techniques (laughs) (laughs) you know I make it up as I go along essentially and I can spend weeks doing a thing and then think this is awful and give up and I had a big project to do with uh, guitars strung with the same string so you know you've got five six sorry, six kind of high E strings all on the same guitar. And in, in, in my head I'm thinking that's gonna sound great. And then you do it and it's like oh, it just sounds a bit crap edge. <laughs> it's very disappointing. Um
0: but it's things not like, it those those yeah. ideas that you like lying in bed going, that is gonna be amazing. Yeah. And vice versa, like that's gonna not work yeah, but I'll try exactly. it anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that yeah and that's the happy accent. And and you know with with the piano thing and I was like, you know, muting muting pianos and then it's like, you know, you, you Moving your thumb with a bit of sponge down a piano string as you're playing, you kind of get these kind of harmonic things going on as well, and you get this kind of nice clunky thud. And it was like you know, so I'd spent weeks doing that, and then you kind of piece it all together, hoping it's going to be all right. And fortunately, it was quite good. But um, yeah, I mean that's the thing. You you can kind of try do a quick trial version of a thing and of, of a few notes, but it's not until you've got a lot of notes in that you can really see if it is going to live up to your kind of expectation of glory that you want it to be. And, um, yeah, sometimes it doesn't. But then, you know, sometimes they mutate into something else because, you know, it's. I've got lots of stuff sitting around on hard drives that has been abandoned at some point. But then, you know, later on, I might go, oh, that thing I did there, what if I do this to it? Uh, and that and what have you. <laughs>
0: i think you're very thorough in that you you a lot of your instruments have layers of sort of Mm. different tonal qualities of a particular instrument so you've got your main piano sound for example you have your ghost convolution elements in sort of light and dark but then also like the clunk there was one where you had like a clunk setting which was like another layer to put on top of it which
1: yeah i mean well, piano the, libraries
0: normally it's just a piano
1: yeah and yeah and there's loads of those so you know no need for more of those but yeah just just being able to kind of build up a sound you know and with door automation you can kind of add things and take them away in you know as a as sound is progressing as well but yeah I mean i yeah I like to have kind of almost add, add, add additively kind of build up sounds based on kind of organic sounds which then become kind of synthesized i suppose in a way but still clearly have that kind of chaos and kind of movement that, that, you know, organic generally has rather than something an oscillator has produced, mm-hmm. I suppose. Or yeah, or you put an oscillator through something completely organic. Uh, you know, and I, I'd say I do a lot of stuff with binaural, um, recording, which gives things a kind of different kind of sense of realism. So if you, you know, if you take something entirely synthetic and then make it organic by re-recording it in a, in a real space, um, I've got this plan, which has never may never come to the light of day. But to use oh for God, now would be the time to do it. Or maybe I'll keep quiet. But it involves cinemas and Dolby Surround and re-recording things.
0: Mm. <laughs> nice.
1: Because having worked in cinemas, I kind of know how how possible it is to do certain things. And uh, so yes, I, I quite. I forgot about that idea. I just remember, uh, my home in my kitchen. I couldn't do it here. I've got a whole wall just full of scribblings with kind of chalk of yeah. Kind of you mentioned plans that. and schemes and and what have you. And uh, in the new yeah in the new studio, I've got a special wall kind of that's been made for me. To, well, it's not the wall's not been made for me, but it's been painted specifically so that I can just write crap all over it and and write things down, forget about them, and kind of notice them again. You know, six months later and go oh yeah that.
0: Yeah, I do the same thing with Max for Live Instruments. And this Um, is like one of my many notebooks. (laughs) And I occasionally just turn to a page and go, oh my God, I forgot about that thing. That's a great idea. When am I going to do that? I've got to remember to do that.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, maybe. I hate lists. I really hate... I just, I think if an idea is any good, it will stay with you. I say that. I also (laughs) write it on a wall somewhere.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I used to try and... um, Like I work freelance and I used to try and... Yeah, like, list all the things I needed to do. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day. He has an Excel spreadsheet of Ooh. all his projects. He wants to use. And it's, it becomes quite oppressive. Because yeah. you add something, again, to the list and you go, there's 170 projects yeah. I haven't fucking done yet. Yeah. And how long? I know that's going to take ages. That's get, So, like, yeah, I, I'm now coming around to the, a very similar viewpoint, which is whatever is in my head that I want to do next is, like, the one that happens. Mm. And then I know the other ones are written down somewhere. Um, yeah, exactly. Sort of um, naturally occurring. That's great. Um, just, just um, out of interest, what was the first sampler? What was like the first time you ever had access to a sampler? I my first, <laughs> I
1: could never. Aff- I was mainly kind of into guitars in the nineties when samplers were coming out, and I couldn't afford. You know, I couldn't afford a Mac is nine hundred or what have you. Um, but I did get a Casio SK five, nice. which I literally didn't uh, I got a. I was supposed to go. Um, it's terrible. I did a terrible thing to a friend who we'd spend all we spent all year planning on going into railing, one summer, which you know was a month traveling around Europe or whatever. And about the week before we due to go, I'm like, I had all this money saved up, and there was a there was a sale on at Soho Soundhouse or whatever, and it was like I, could, I got a full track for that money and I'm like I'm sorry I bought a four track I can't come with you and he was like he was New Zealand fuck you Pindle I'm going <laughs> on my own then he's now, well, he's now the bloody chief curator at the uh, Sydney Gallery, so he's done all that.
0: Right. Oh, he's done okay. I feel, yeah. I feel I've helped him out. You've, yeah, you a Springboard. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> but um, so yeah, so I got, I bought a four-track recorder instead, and just never didn't leave the house for bloody ages. And then same with it. I got an SK five, and was like, wow, I can record stuff and play it back. And and I was just, and I totally, and it had the speaker, so you could play itself and then record it at the same time out of its own speaker. And I was just like, wow, I can do this. This is amazing. And I was doing loads of that stuff and recording onto my four-track and. You know, just making hay with that. And I've rec- I got the full track. I've got this massive box of cassettes, full track stuff that I did, which oh, I nice. got out recently. I was trying to work my way through and It's like <laughs> so much terrible shite. Some of it I'm listening back and wow, that's genius. And some of it it's just like, what were you thinking?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Surely, I mean, you can play them, play them really yeah, low pitch, and yeah, you might you get something. All that. Amazing, yeah, no, that's, like, yeah, all that's, weird that, artifacts
1: that's yeah, that's the plan is to is to backwards. One day, one day when I've got, it's just, you know, it's quite, it's, it was like going through like old letters or something like, you know, you start off with a plan and then by the end of it, you just sit in there reading stuff and then you just forget the reason you're doing it. And that's kind of what was happening. So it was really hard to, you know, it would take weeks to kind of go through it all. And I just don't have the attention span to do that. Similarly, I've got gazillions of, um, I went when I first got the the OKM binaural mics, which are the ones that go in your ears, Mm -hmm. and you can just walk around recording everything binaurally and no one knows, everyone just thinks you listen to headphones. And I spent, you know, I've got an archive of about 10 years of obsessively kind of walk, I sound quite obsessive, not really, (laughs) uh, of obsessively walking around with a mini disc with my OKMs in, just recording everything. And I wish I have turned into a, um, I've got a kind of found sound drum machine, which I, made with some of that archive oh cool and there was but there was this weird thing where i then hen- ended up having a kid having <laughs> giving birth to my, not me personally mm-hmm. having a child and couldn't record him it was this weird thing where it felt wrong because re- you, know, you know he's making it he used to make these excellent dinosaur noises <laughs> like baby really? dinosaur noises really tops back. yeah no, it would have been great and I just I just had this, like, I don't want to record him because it's kind of chancing fate almost. It was just this weird, like, if, you know, if I record him and that might mean that he won't be there kind of a thing. Cause, and so I just, you know, I kind of stopped recording at that stage, which was hmm. which was interesting, and probably just as well, because I, I think I'd moved on to an iRiver then, which was a kind of a hard disc recorder as well, and that wasn't quite as... Somehow, and mini discs do sound really good. And I recently bought a big, like, old um, high-end mini-disc kind of rack playback thing and I've started kind of getting some of that stuff back again as well and it's got this really good jog Shuttle, so you can just do this brilliant kind of stuttery, kind of slow and reverse and backwards and forwards Doesn't thing with really mini disc, which is really nice. I,
0: yeah, I loved mini where you could like write track names and things. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I never did that ever, ever. I did. No, I've just got T. Yeah, God, Lowercase I can't do that. Um, but yeah, interesting enough, my last week of uh GCSE. Uh, school. In my last year of school when I was 6, fifteen or sixteen, I had a mini disc player, microphone lead running through my sleeve, microphone coming out of my hand, and I just recorded the last week of school uh, wow. of and. Um, it was amazing. And the last day as well. So I've got two medias, one of the last week, one of the last wow. day. And I put my hand up in loads of the classes and asked stupid questions to the teachers. So they bollocked me and some of, them, some of them come over and I go, Chris, what are you doing? Like, it's really easy. God. So I've got these... It's You've got a concept to I'm waiting to, waiting to happen there. It is amazing. It's <laughs> like if I shut my eyes and listen to Playtime, it's like an amazing experience. It's like, wow, you're really back there. There's like this weird sort of parity thing happening. Um, so yeah, mini disc is great. Really yeah. versatile. And it sounds really... quite
1: good. Mini disc, bizarrely. Yeah. Similarly, DATs as well. I've got a load of DATs somewhere, and I remember every time I played a DAC you kind of think, "Oh, that sounds quite nice." There's something about it that does sound nice. Whereas yeah. I've never thought that, particularly with hard disc recordings, you just it's just a recording. Yeah. But there is something about. I also was one of the few people that bought a DCC digital compact cassette. I had mm. one of those as well for a while, which was. So it was. It was like a. It was made by Pioneer. No, someone anyway, and it was like a. It was a cheaper version of that thing, and it was basically a cassette that played that was digital, mm. and it was kind of a terrible, terrible medium, and failed horribly. Absolutely, and I was the only one that had shared one of the players. Yeah. Wow. Well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um um, amazing all those I, I often wonder like it wouldn't it be great if it was a sort of company that digitised cassettes but they had a machine that would just go like zip yeah. with the whole cassette and just do it and then um, but but then also I think it is nice to sit back and record it yourself and listen to it and just yeah just take a moment to enjoy it I think yeah but it's, just, it's just it
1: just fucks with your mind too much because it is you know it's going through a kind of history as well because it is it has uh, well, it ha- well I mean all recordings obviously have some kind of history but it has a particular bygone age to it as well, which, you know, I, it's it's weirdly painful rather than joyful. But maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: think you can't help the way you feel. Like it's really interesting that you couldn't record your son. I think that is, um you know, that's like some paternal instinct. Well, yeah, no, and it kind of it, it totally maybe, weir- it totally
1: weirded me out as well. You know, and I absolutely it was, you know, I thought I was quite brutish and unthinking but it was like you know something made me not be able to do it and it was quite quite an interesting thing to kind of work through mm, but yeah. let's say just as well because they'll just have s- such a huge archive and i would be you know sending out sound here's my kid making a noise and we'll shut up boy
0: I guess let's talk about um, recording techniques, if you wouldn't mind. Like, how do you record your things?
1: Um, recording, well, I, as I've mentioned earlier, I, I'm a big fan of binaural. Um, I've also been doing Blundheim technique with a Blundheim disc. No, it's not, I've it away. Uh, which is a kind of... Because binaural has... Which is essentially recording... Th- I've got several kind of artificial heads and with microphones and stuff like that. I don't have the Neumann one, which costs an absolute fortune. Um, I've done a slightly cheaper version of that. But it's, it's uh, so it records in the way that you, exactly in the way that your ears hear. And then when you hear it back on headphones, it's astonishing. You know, I've, do, I've done quite a few kind of art. I, I work with an artist as well, doing kind of quite big scale sounds uh, while she does these film installations uh, with surround sound stuff like that. And I've done a lot of binaural with that. But you can really, you know, you can make things sound like they're behind you and all that kind of stuff through a, through headphones. And it works quite well on stereo, but Blunheim technique, I think it's Blunheim, um, works better in stereo and still sounds good on headphones as well. But it just gives this kind of naturalism, this kind of weird realism rather than kind of, you know, you get a sense of the whole space and sound within that space quite strongly as opposed to, you know, close micing or what, you know, various things where you're trying to hide the fact that you're miking, or that there is something listening to something mm. which I find interesting you know I, I've got no techniques to, to pass on because I just you know work through what will work and spend time making something sound as good as I think it can sound and uh, so yeah I, I, I <laughs> sorry I'm not a person to pass on techniques and stuff like that because I just you know like everyone else I, I don't I don't have a set way of doing anything um because, you know, different things require different processes or what have
0: you. Absolutely, so, yeah. But,
1: but so yeah, I'm not being arsey. I just mm.
0: I yeah, I mean micing things up for me is I guess maybe like for you in the early days, which is just sticking a mic in a few different places and seeing which mm. one works for that particular thing. Um Yeah, I guess maybe like how would you I say so does binaural work because our ears have sort of different frequency responses? Yeah. Well, not they, the, for things that are above. Yeah, and this is this is how the behind. spatialness
1: kind of works. And and with a with a binaural head, you actually have fake ears as well, and the microphones go within the ears. So it's the ears that do the kind of uh, the the kind of uh, filtering and what have you, and 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 make the spatialness. And it so it kind of it mimics that kind of process, which mm. is kind of uh, yeah. I mean yeah, it's really kind of sounds I one you know once you once you've fiddled around with it and tried it and then listened back to it it's quite it's quite amazing actually yeah. or it can be
0: cool yeah i'd love to try it i've mm-hmm. never i've only ever recorded with sort of that sort of thing um what would you recommend to to well you can,
1: uh, you can get recording. basically you can get a set of okm mics for about 200 quid now they're a bit the problem is the problem with any they're small can uh capacity they're small capsules, which are inherently have to be noisy because it's just physics. So they're a little bit noisier than, than uh, a standard kind of condenser, um, you know, large mm. um, diaphragm or whatever. But they're great because you just put them in your ears and your head becomes a recording thing and no one knows you've got them. And, you know, I've also got heads that you can put them in so you can put them on stand and, you know, it's steady. But the, the Blunheim thing, which is basically a, a, a disc which separates, and then you can put your own mics in. So I've got a pair of, uh, of Rhodes, kind of Omnis, on either side. So you can use kind of really high-quality mics so you don't get slight noise issues with the OKMs. But yeah, right, for starters, yeah. OKMs are great. And great. you can plug them into your into your Zoom and walk around doing kind of guerrilla recording wherever you want.
0: That's true. Yeah. And I do you think, is that what people are using for ASMR and yeah, like
1: I've, I th- uh, there's also the, there's some American ones, which is some ears on a on a stand that you uh, you can use as well. But yeah, I, I, I think yeah, I think people are using that kind of stuff. Although I think they're also just using a pair a stereo pair of mics and whispering into them, so yeah. they're not even that binaural. I was going to do an ASMR channel, <laughs> quite literally of just holding up bits of um, silly gadgets and tapping them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, and I just never got around to doing it. But you know, in the studio, I've got access to such amazing gear. So you know, just a, hold know, hold on, a Roland eight hundred eight up and twiddle with the knobs in front of her, I thought would be very exciting. I think a...
0: Heinbach, Do you know who <laughs> he, as, is? As I think that. he did. He yeah. did one uh, uh, like a recording of him going through the studio studio and clanking every, all the oh, knobs right, okay. and like I've, just as
1: well. I didn't do it then.
0: Um, but uh, maybe because someone commented in his video, "Oh, please, can you record the sounds of all this gear yeah. not making noise but um, clanking around?" Uh, <laughs> yeah he's got really big with all his sort of tests yeah, yeah and yeah. um soviet soviet sort of stuff i just don't i
1: i wonder how people afford all this stuff <laughs> that's that's my thing i'd love to have that big space with all those amazing things but you know even getting a, a an old nagra tape machine these days is like thousands of quid yeah and it's quite you know so why have you got three of them <laughs> You're a posh boy, really. Don't Look, no computer
0: as well. like clearly unbelievable amount of space. Really, a massive posh boy. I get, <laughs> I get, um, I get anxious watching some of the big YouTubers, the big sort of music tech YouTubers, because I just worry about how they're ever going to move house and mm, like yeah, how too, yeah. annoying and uh, like the operation required and like what sacrifices they must have made in. Other parts of their yeah. house to well, to yeah. allow for all the. Well, yeah, well, Richard space, Divine and...
1: room of like glowing lights, and it's just you know mental modular stuff. I I just thinking, who can be asked to just spend hours patching all that stuff in and out? Because you know I've I've got I dabbled in modular, and it's you know it's handy, but it's also really annoying as well. And it's just so oh, sorry about my phone. Right. It's so ties into the kind of male brain kind of buying hunter-collector kind of thing. Oh, you know, it's about 200 quid. Oh, I can get one of those. Oh, yeah. And then if I get that, then everything will be great. And then, oh, oh, no, I need another one because then it will be great. And, you know, all that stuff.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah, the gear acquisition um, syndrome is a big one. Um, Yeah, what... I mean, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm. let go of a lot of stuff over the years, a lot of gear, and I have bought a lot over the years, but bought and sold. But yeah, I'm definitely letting go and using less and less to make music with now. Um, but the one that gets me is like when a new piece of equipment comes out, and all of the big YouTubers and all the channels have got that new thing, and they're all just promoting it because they got it for free, yep. or they got paid to say it, yep. like... That's like the new commercialism is yeah. like just one guy, so yeah, I, I get a little, I just I find it a bit uncomfortable when the day comes that, you know, Moog release a new synth and oh lo and behold everyone's raving about oh, it. And then again. a week later they're
1: raving about something else.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like um, I think that's why I like what you do because you're looking into either vintage, you know, traditional instruments or f- you know, odd sounds that no one's done and. You've got to go out and find those things, you know. You Mm. explore those avenues. It's not something that comes to you like easily. Yes.
1: No. uh, Yeah. And that's another thing. I, you know, I scour. Actually, it's a shame. There was an excellent um, uh, uh, auction house in Lewis, which is closed down. But you know, I I used to go there. But I actually, I bought a dulcetone from there. Actually, quite reasonably priced as well. But yeah, just just always looking. You know, I, I don't do car boots so much now because they're a bit rubbish but um, although I do have a, a which you can't see because it's all gone I have excellent collection of, of bad paintings of dogs <laughs> which I collected over the years from car boot sales um, but uh, yeah I' yeah I'm constantly looking out for and you know and I think possibly there is a point now where there isn't anything now that hasn't been done in a sampling thing which is why you then have to kind of Push it in different directions and work out ways of doing new stuff, kind of that hasn't been done. Mm.
0: Um, I like your, um, I like your um, triple uh, arpeggio thing. That's oh yes, one the of in your, infundibulum. Yeah, the infundibulum. Yeah, time funnel. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thing. Yeah, the super arp. Is it? Yes. Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, um, what's yeah? What what's the infundibulum? So that is
1: uh It started with, well, you know, everyone's got an arpeggiator, but it was like, you know, it was like, what if you have an arpeggiator that, well, three arpeggiators controlling different sounds that can be different lengths and all that kind of stuff, and it was just kind of snowballed from there. It took a long time to build and a long time to kind of work out, you know, what was special about it almost as well, but... But it also—it's not just an ARP; it's uh, a kind of gate sequencer as well. So you can have a long sound with bits cut out of it over a period of time, with other, with the same sound, with different stuff happening at the same time as well. So it's—it's it's a way of of adding, well, it's chaos, but obviously very organized chaos as well, and it, and and kind of you know polyrhythmic and what have you. But it's also. There's kind of two versions of infandiblin. One is quite uh, kind of plinky plonky. Uh, it's quite short sounds um, from f- varying things from uh, tuning forks to Rhodes uh, electric pianos and actual pianos and lots of those kind of you know short sounds, which then all melded together across. D- varying patterns becomes quite interesting or can become quite in- it was you know, it was a, it was a, a an approach to kind of you know, minimalist composers like um, Reich and, and and what have you. And then there's another version which is more kind of longer, kind of gnarly, kind of squash through tape and spring echoes and stuff like that sounds which is um quite nice as well actually. Mm. But uh, yeah no the Infant Diblins have been quite uh yes, quite well received, I would say.
0: Yeah, and the modular the as well, got sort of going, yeah. taking a step back to the modular thing, you use the VCS3 yeah. Oberheim Expander. Yeah. Is it Expander? D-Fam. The D-Fam's nice, isn't it? Really yeah, fat. it sounds really great.
1: It's a really good sound. That was one of those things, I really didn't want to buy one, and I went and played with it in GAC or somewhere, and it was like, oh, this is really nice. Yeah. And I, I resisted getting the, the, what was the thing they just released? Mother? No, there's a new, the one that just came out. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Harmonium? Yeah, or something like that, yeah. I totally resisted getting one. <laughs> but I was like, oh, "That's quite nice, isn't
0: it? it? That felt to me like a synth company going a bit off. Yeah, no, off I think that's good. And I road. think that, that range
1: that they've been doing, which they have those kind of Moog days where they kind of build, oh, you know, weeks where they kind of build stuff and release them to a few people there and then kind of turn them into products later on. I think that's a really good approach
0: yeah i've got to say i got a workstat from someone secondhand okay. in brighton oh, that's he, the, yeah. he didn't know if it worked so i got it for like seven, 70 quid or something right. but it's it's about it's like that big and they they did just make workshops so you could put yeah. your own moves together i mean you really just put the pcb in a case yeah. and apparently you've made the synth but yeah it's a it's an amazing sounding synth it's tiny but my god it's big i mean you know sonically right yeah and um oh, you've got the patch bay on the right hand side to do loads of little things yeah that was a big um yeah total surprise to me really just um wasn't expecting it to be really good but it, yeah it's uh, amazing so it did work then he so you, t- you totally got a bargain yeah I totally <laughs> got a bargain uh there was like wires sticking out of it but i'm like i'm sure that's just someone's um Ben's yeah it's onwards. just sort of well, gut instinct one where i was like i think that's okay i'm gonna chance it it was going Brighton, so it wasn't wasn't too difficult to yeah. get to. Cool. You have also done soft synth patches as well. Yeah,
1: just I I do, I do a bit omni omnisphere stuff, just to kind of mix it up a bit because it's it's uh, you know, it's nice to have a break from. I because mean, you know, I tend to do I do things. There's no plan. I kind of I get excited about a thing and I do it and if i'm not excited about a thing i can't do it so i do something else and and i kind of oscillate between you know I've phases where i'm obsessively making music and phases where i'm obsessively making sample instruments and if if i was obsessive i keep saying i'm not obsessive i'm not obsessive all right i just you know get enthusiastic about stuff and um, and yeah and it's like it's nice to kind of break away from stuff and and push you know try something else so i i tend to I've done stuff for Diva and, uh, and Yuhi Diva and uh, Zebra as well. And I tend to kind of try and break them really and see if I can kind of make them, you know, give up the ghost kind <laughs> of thing. Z- Zebra, I, I spent ages working with Zebra and the, the problem is because it's kind of modular and what have you. So, I mean, it's a great sounding thing, but for me it's got almost too many options and it just fries my brain a little bit because you can't you can whatever you you can't push it into a corner and kind of make it kind of weep yeah because it does yeah so you end up with this kind of option paralysis which i could just go on forever kind of making stuff and go oh that's not well maybe that one's better Mm -hmm. so it's uh yeah i mean hats off to people that can keep churning out sets for stuff i mean I don't buy other people's. (laughs) I expect people to buy mine. Definitely, yeah, definitely
0: that way around. No, I know what you mean. It's sometimes nice to, because I do a bit in Max for Live. Yeah, well, hats
1: off. I've got a friend who does a lot of work in Max and Jitter and stuff, and... I've looked at it and
0: my, my brain doesn't work that way. Yeah, it was lucky how I ended up doing that. But um, yeah, sometimes you build something and it does break a bit. Mm-hmm. And you, it's like nice and you want to get it to a point where people, other people can still do that with it. You yeah. know, like you want to, it's a bit, I suppose, a bit like circuit vending as well. It's finding yeah. a resistor that has a nice range on it, but doesn't like reset the machine when you you know do it yeah. too much. Um, yeah, I saw you got the Zoom <laughs> 1204 there. Um, it's amazing that that's still boxed it really is I, I, I keep all boxes oh, yeah. which has been handy because I've actually been doing a
1: lot of selling recently because I'm moving to a smaller studio and, and it's like okay you could this all my stuff won't fit in because and, and I, I tend to buy stuff for projects that's my excuse for getting stuff that I don't really need it's like oh I could do a project with that mm-hmm. and so I have been selling st- some stuff off and it's weirdly liberating as well I'm surprised how Absolutely. pleasurable it's been Absolutely. but
0: Especially when it goes to a good home, if it goes somewhere really yeah.
1: appreciating yeah. it. Yeah, and they generally have been as well, which is nice. But I, um, I had a DNA test a while ago, and I do have there is a gene for apparently for keeping stuff just in case you need it later on. <laughs> and I have that gene, and I absolutely have that gene. You know, I've I've been saying this to people for years, and and they're like, "Wait, well, yeah, I might need that one day." And. um and I've yeah I've been trying to work against my genetics. I've I've also got the gene that means I get really smelly piss when I drink uh, when I eat um, that stuff. Oh asparagus. God, asparagus. Asparagus. Yes. Oh my God. yeah, So do I. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the gene. <laughs> and I can't smell fox poo bizarrely, which which is a gene they haven't tested for yet.
0: Right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That is incredible. Yeah, I think I I was saying before I think there is a circuit bender's modification yeah, which, for that, which is um, I think it I think it slows down the the clock, so you're essentially controlling the clock because he's done one for the Behringer Virtualizer Pro, right? Okay, which is a, a piece of, of shit, really. Yeah. But there's there's two of them, and he does a mod, and you you've got a switch. So you've basically got two units in one from a switch, right? Okay, and both of them are like pitch yeah. No, I'm definitely totally
1: going to look into that because I mean that's you know that I bought that. Twenty-five years ago, and it's you know hasn't been used for a very long time, and it's. I think I tried to sell it and couldn't, but yeah, I might as well give that a go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's funny that I think that piece of gear is like the the thread that puts that sticks all my podcasts together. Because <laughs> I, I think they're now like the fourth person. Really, everyone's got one. They're trying they they on. <laughs> to get rid of. And have one, and it's always like the lowest one in the rack or somewhere. It's that always, one of
1: those elusive, elusive MIDI verbs as well, which are yeah, you know, exactly. totally from a certain era.
0: Exactly. Yeah, there are some things that just actually. Everyone has them. Um.
1: Well, I suppose that, that, that was one of the first kind of affordable digital multiverbs kind of thing because there, there was, you know, there was the the midi well, the, the midiverbs which were terrible but they only did one thing and then this kind of came along and, the, and I think that was before, that no, was after the quadriverb which were kind of quite expensive as well at the time. Hmm. Um, but yes, that whole kind of wrecked not good quality synth, um, reverb[s] with something else as well. Which Definitely, quite, yeah. It's quite a rare thing, and you know that's before plugins and all that kind of stuff. So,
0: yeah, and I like this. It's got like a sort of quasi ring moddy things, quasi sort of um, sample rate reduction yeah. things, which are well, also that's, yeah, and, and the vocodon there is novelty.
1: quite good as well. I've actually used it on a track. years ago. Oh, sorry, there's a vocodon. Yeah, there, so that's yeah, nice. that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah, there is. So what what music uh, have you worked on, or what what music do do you make? I do. uh, I occasionally
1: release stuff under the name Id Monster. Um, Actually, I've got a big box of albums over there. I shall well take away in a minute. Um, (laughs) Because I I, yeah yeah anyway, Um, I do quite a lot of library stuff as well, which I find. Fascinating and, and brilliant and seemingly the more library stuff I release the less PRS I get so <laughs> <laughs> going wrong somewhere. Um, I went through a phase when I did you phase cancelling your. Yeah, I think work. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I just just stopped doing anything. But you know, I actually got put quite a lot of stuff out this year as well. So next, you know, next PRS is not going to be rubbish. But um, I did go through a phase of doing quite a lot of TV stuff as well. Um, I had my name on the end of both relocation. And location, location, etc. For a good many years, which is one of my cool. parents was quite nice. Well, it's hilarious. I got commissioned to do libraries for them a few times, and I just made the most inappropriate music <laughs> for those for shows. You know, because I essentially don't do jolly or happy music. I do miserable dirges, mm-hmm. and it was you know I was doing like you know. <laughs> Been, you know track titles horribly gazumped or or you know haven't got enough money to cover the mortgage kind of things and you know so all the like it going wrongs music fine but the jolly here's Kirsty going to a lovely place music I don't do that mm-hmm. but yeah that was quite funny I did a lot of I did a lot of theme tunes for housing shows at one point as well which was hilarious one of which is still going strong in Australia and even though it's been re-recorded by several other people I still get the publishing for it because it's my tune. So that's quite nice. They even asked me a few years to go. Oh yeah, can you can you do us a new version of your, of your theme tune? And I kind of had a few goes, and I now we'll get someone else. <laughs> they, they didn't like my own version of my own theme tune. Yeah,
0: maybe you just hit like you you nailed it the first time. <laughs> but yeah, got, like, but it, but it was
1: yeah, it was a kind of relief. It's like you know, just yeah, get someone else to do because I'm still getting the publishing either way. So I don't
0: I don't care. That's great. And in and in terms of like people that have used your instruments and and used them on tracks.
1: Oh God! I mean, you know, I'm forever. Hearing, st- I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got a most says so he modestly most uh, kind of known composers kind of are using stuff of mine. Um, uh, Gary Barlow apparently uses it. He's been very kind, has written a nice testimonial on my website. Um, yeah, I mean, just yeah, just most people I'm their kind of little secret weapon that they don't like to talk about. Basically, mm. which is fine by me. I don't like to talk about it either. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that's yeah, and it's nice to kind of you know, my ears kind of often prick up when you're watching telecoming, kind of, Oh, that's that's one of mine, I think.
0: Yeah, um, it's got a very cinematic quality. To
1: well it. I try and avoid to be honest, I really try and avoid that whole cinematic thing. It kinda of drives me mental. The, I know I mean the whole Zimmer bollocks. <laughs> You can take that out, maybe. How dare he? said Zimmer's bollocks. No! But I just I just hate all that. I really do. I just find it so... No, Dash, you do take this out. <laughs> no, don't. No, do. Oh, I don't know.
0: It, it's sort of like... I don't know. I think the, the sounds you make are very much... The sounds you make are very much about... um Like, there's detail, isn't there? And there's I just don't clarity. like that bombast
1: stuff. And that... Um, and, it, you know, it's be, there's become this... I mean, I, you know, I, I the last composing work I did, was I got chucked off a Netflix series a couple of years ago and that was the first thing I'd done in ages anyway and it was a kind of relief because it is... I just feel sorry for anyone who's in that kind of just drudgery of writing TV music and whatever. It's just horrible. And the amount of people, you yeah, know, I wouldn't be a composer. I mean, I, I've hats off, you know, I did that, I went through that and I got spat out and I'm bitter and twisted about it now. But it was it was you you just spend your whole life waiting for kind of you know please like you know please like what I'm doing please give me a job and it's just awful you know that way lies absolute mental torment and you know and it is it's is really bad for your mental health I think all of that that stuff because you are at the beck and call of a of an industry that certainly you know you're although they say how important music is you're very near the bottom of the food chain and it's and you've got and it was. When I was doing more stuff, you were generally dealing with a director, but you know, latterly you're dealing with a director and some producers and some more producers, and they're all trying to keep their jobs, so they don't dare stick their neck out and go, "No, this is great. We, this is what we want." It's all like, "Oh no, it's, it's make it sound like more like Zimmer or what have you," mm-hmm. you know. And that and that's you know shows in the majority of TV music, except for you know people like Mark Munden, who's using Christopher Tapia Devere for for stuff, you know, for Utopia and what have you, which is. You know, you've got a kind of an auteur director who's using an auteur kind of composer. And I think that works really well. But I just, that stuff, you know, exa- you know you know exactly how TV music should sound now and film music to a lot of the way as well. And it usually does sound like that.
0: Yes, I find it. I mean, I, I'm not a TV watcher, like I don't have a TV, but I find when I do watch TV, the um, the music's like quite coercive, like it's quite blatantly. Yeah. yes. You know, it's doing the job. we are we yeah. are supporting the emotion yeah. of the scene with yeah, the music, yeah. and it's unashamed. You know, it's right there in front yeah, of you. Yeah, like, and cause it's there's and subtlety because
1: because yeah, because there's this thing about yeah, directors can't say what they need to say with actors anymore. They have to be utterly. And, and the meantime, you know, these poor old composers are being absolutely run through the mill to kind of, but and but you know, and being treated really badly, even though. At the same time, they seeming this music is, you know, a really important part of the show. But yeah, I, you know, some of the uh, greatest, I just love seeing and anything that doesn't have music these days, <laughs> to be honest. Like, you know, it's oh, thank God for that. You know, I can make my own decisions about how I feel about someone, you know, something happening. Mm. And it is, uh, I don't know, did, did you see Bait? No, Which is a fan? it's this kind of black and white, 16 mil thing about uh, fishermen in Devon. It's absolutely the greatest film in the world, oh, okay. and it's and it's it actually does have a soundtrack, but it's really minimal, and it's just awesome. You know, it's all handheld, self self processed, so it's like you know, it's like it's like an art house EastEnders <laughs> kind of thing. It's just amazing, a really great film, and um, but you know, just really, it's not doesn't it got all that music cliche going on and stuff, and yeah, I just I could rant for hours about how. I, I just feel sorry for i know i'm actually selling the tools to the lot of these people god maybe you should take this out um but it is a it's a horrible industry I've, I've, I've bizarrely done quite a lot of stuff in japan um music there's a company over there i used to do quite a lot of work for That's kind of slowed down a bit now but they're fantastic because you kind of do some work and they say oh, they say thank you and they pay you within the week mm-hmm. over here you've just get treated like shit and it takes months to get paid and it's just horrible mm. so i'm you know i'm relieved not to have to rely on that kind of side of things anymore actually
0: yeah i think um i thought the hang drum as well you know that's that <laughs> yes. so overused like yeah yeah, yeah. and
1: then yeah, and, was, and there, you know oh don't start me on bloody radio 2 emotional piano music as well <laughs> it's like you know God, Oliver Arnold is a lovely guy and all that kind of stuff but all that kind of piano-y kind of like tasteful kind of semi-ambient semi-classical stuff phew, you know, I'm a bit sick of it all mm. which you know um, they... um, but then you know like uh, Ben Salisbury and uh, your man out of Paul said that the stuff they've done for, for devs and that they did for uh, Ex Machina and stuff like that's really good Actually, in Toy Drum, um, people in here—they've—they've they've got a couple of TV things coming out soon, and that, you know they're doing really kind of much more, less generic, kind of interesting, kind of soundtrack stuff for telly, which is nice to see. But it's—I think—it's really hard to do anything but the kind of stuff that's expected, and you know, and you did, it takes a very brave director or a very established director to, to kind of do allow allow anyone to do that.
0: Yeah, I—I th- I guess it's a mainstream medium, and they mm-hmm. need to. They need to uh cater for as many people as possible with visuals, with uh, storylines, and with, yeah. with the music. So, but
1: um, but it's just that, the you know which is why. Well, yes, it's just there's so many levels of decision making in the in the kind of TV industry that and everyone's just scared that everyone's hanging on by their fingernails, and not wanting to lose their jobs. So, it just you know, wipes out a certain level of creativity, which you know should be allowed to just kind of flourish, I yeah. think, and it kind of can't.
0: Well, great, you've done sync work. I always had this image of, like, oh, I would love to sit down and do sync work. It would be an idyllic world. Uh, but, yeah, I guess, yeah, there are... It's 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 a complicated beast. It, it,
1: well, yeah, and it, it, also I think I'm probably not very, not very good at it as well. You know, I, it, it's it's because uh, I I also come from the line of thought that kind of anything fits with anything, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it kind of does. And you know, because it's to, it's that you know, you assume that something put with something is intentional, and therefore your brain makes the, the appropriate kind of, you know, synaptical connections and. In fact, yeah, some of the best stuff is stuff, stuff where the music is separately composed and then bunged on to an image. And it's like, and so it's not kind of like, oh, someone moves their arm and it goes, Duh-dah. you know, all that type of kind of Mickey Mousey stuff. And it's like when it's almost dietitical, it's part of the thing, but it's not. And it kind of comments rather than kind of backs up. And I think that's, that's when it's more interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or oh,
1: can be more interesting. It can also be, obviously, terrible as well. But like the, uh that, what's his, oh, Adam, the guy that does those amazing kind of BBC documentaries like once every two years. Adam Curtis. Oh, yeah, Adam Curtis stuff. The way he uses music is amazing and it just works so well. And it's not composed. It's just, you know, he gets some, he's got a good musical, you know, whatever, finding him stuff and it goes on and it works brilliantly.
0: Absolutely. I, I rave, daily about Adam Curtis to people. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, yeah, soundtrack-wise, incredible. Like the story of um, River Deep Mountain High that's in his film, It Felt Like a Kiss. That's amazing. don't know that one. Yeah, it was a a half-hour film that he didn't narrate, he just put subtitles over, and it was with a company called Punch Drunk, and it was part of a big big installation in London that was a house that you went to, and on the wall was this film, It Felt Like a Kiss... Projected and uh, yeah, so it's his narration, ah, right. but that's brilliant. It's only half an hour. Um, but yeah, Bitter Lake and... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's funny she mentioned Punch me, Drunk
1: because i Do you know Dream Think Speak who done quite a few things in Brighton? I don't know. They were know. doing it before Punch Drunk and I, I was doing the soundtracks for their stuff with, you know, huge... Like there's a show we did uh, taking over a whole department store. And, I, and actually I was working with <laughs> talking of p- pianos, uh, Max Richter was the kind of main composer, was before he got massively famous, and I was the kind of sound designer, he kind of stroke composer on it as well, on that particular show. Well, actually quite a few of the shows, but you've know, and you basically walked around a huge department store with crazy shit happening everywhere, which is what Punch Drunk do, and I had to wire up the whole department store with the old tannoy system and had various things going on in different rooms, and... And kind of you know sound installationy stuff kind of going on. Mm-hmm. I've done quite a few of those, which have been, you know, really kind of good experiences and diff- very difficult experiences.
0: Yeah, a lot of soldering, soldering <laughs> iron, and the, well, a the lot of running morning.
1: cables because this, you know, you know, literally running off off a computer with Ableton Live with with as many outs as possible, and literally sending cable to a room with some speakers in it, and kind of you know controlling it all from one thing and And just having actually downtime with a system like that where you can set, you can kind of do music mixes coming from all different rooms and stuff like that, was
0: great actually. That would be cool, yeah, just send one part of a track to one room and another part of a track to another. Yeah, which I've I've
1: (laughs) mucked about within a department store. Yeah,
0: that's like getting a bit bit of Brian Eno with your mixing, isn't it? That's really cool.
1: But, yeah, laying the cable, not so much fun. And packing it up <laughs> packing again. Up Even, <laughs> unfortunately, I never had to pack it up again. I just had to set it out in the first place, which is quite good. That's good. Oh, yeah, that's um, OK.
0: That's the fun bit, maybe. Yeah, so I really like some of the names of some of, of your <laughs> things that you've called. And also, like, the, 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 de- the, the things you can do with them, you know, the parameters. They're, right. all, they're all sort of quite um, interesting names. Do you have any favourites of things that you've named? Naming is funny,
1: I've always been in bands with really shit names so I've tried really hard to actually do good names for other things but uh, for my instruments and also the kind of presets as well to a certain extent but, um, yeah, no, because it, it, it's like, I they are kind of, I do treat them almost like, you know, like doing an album or something like that you know, they are my babies and I absolutely love them and think they're the greatest thing in the world until the point where I just can't be asked anymore. And I'm <laughs> sick of them, and they need to clear off. And then I'm working on the next one. Mm. So, yeah, they're absolutely labors of love. And name is if, naming is quite funny. They it's they often go through many different name changes. And then it's like when, when it kind of sticks, you are kind of like yeah, that's that's its name. That's that's what it is. And similarly with with the GUIs I spend s- so long kind of designing and building knobs and moving around one pixel. And and you know I'm not a designer and it's i would like them to be a bit better looking as regards kind of well, I mean, it, well as regards the quality of the knobs but it's quite tricky with what's available to be honest um mm. unless you kind of spend months rendering in photoshop and i'm not clever enough to do that uh but yeah no, the way things look and feel and the controls are really important i you know i don't like I find those ones where it's trying to look like a piece of hardware and all that kind of stuff quite annoying. I kind of dabble in that a little bit, but not not to the extent that it's yeah, I just don't like all that kind of silly extra shears that you don't that you don't need just there to kinda of look a bit kind of classy or whatever. I find those quite cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Maybe everyone does. But uh yeah, no, I mean yeah, the whole I mean, it's all part, you know, it is all part of the package, really, how it, how you use it. I mean, there is that difficult thing where, obviously, you've spent months with the thing, you know how it works really well, so, and I'm very bad, I'm probably very bad at explaining things as well, so I expect everyone to understand as much as I do, because I do, so why doesn't everyone else? Which isn't, you know, obviously not great as a developer.
0: Mm, I understand that problem completely, because <laughs> you've you worked on the engine, the yeah. bits all behind it, you've sampled it all. And it's easy to assume that everyone else was with yep. you that whole time. Exactly. But they weren't <laughs> so. And
1: clearly they weren't. So, yes, that, that is that is a less good thing. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I I actually, yeah, I get a, a lot of... Uh, the coding is... The sampling is hard work. The coding is hard work, but sometimes quite joyful. The GUIs, I just quite, I quite like moving pixels around and kind of making knobs and trying them out and what have you. Yeah, I like to try and... Uh, have, a few, have jokes in things as well if I can. Uh, there's usually something kind of silly hidden somewhere. Possibly there is.
0: Yeah, did you have the eyes of one of the ghosts following the ghost yeah, yeah, around yeah. in one of them? <laughs> yeah, those <laughs> sorts of details are nice, aren't they? Yeah, I, I of bits, of,
1: bits of that kind of thing in there.
0: So are you building the whole thing from yourself? I've, are you? I've got a
1: secret coder who does some of the really hard stuff um, in contact for me because I'm not a coder. I've, you know, I've been doing it for quite a long time now, but I'm, the stuff that is... Way beyond me, which I I do get a guy in to help me to do that stuff for me. Because mm, uh,
0: they had um, they had that Contact GUI builder, didn't they? Contact GUI maker.
1: D- oh yes, which I think I tried and was actually more irritating than just doing it yourself. <laughs> and the, and there is the new uh, for Contact Six. There is the whole buildy thing, but it doesn't build for Contact Five. And people are still essentially Contact Five. If I just if you only release something in Contact Six, then you, you know you're losing a lot of kind of customers, I think. Mm. So you have to you have to work from five upwards rather than from six downwards because you can't make it go from six down.
0: Right. Yeah. And then doesn't does that what's that what is that piece of software that comes with contact that allows you to finally make your yes. own instrument? creator or something
1: like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: But that only works for six, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So then what you're saying is that you can't really you can't use it if you've yeah, got to like, build for five yeah. upwards. I
1: mean it might be you know, there might be clever ways of making it backwards compatible but I'd rather put the time into just, you know, tinkering tinkering around in the way that I tinker around. and mm. uh, I, sh- I mean, uh, probably in a year's time, when or when five has finally died, then maybe that's the time to get into it more. And probably I should be kind of learning it more now.
0: Yeah, I found it very difficult, yeah. like native instruments. Well, it's, it's
1: also, it's another language, it's Lua or something, but which is like, so it's another language to learn to kind of control, to do another language, and it's...
0: Yeah, I mean, I've programmed a little bit of, of a couple of synth, edit, synth editors in Renoise, which is a DAW, oh, yeah. like a tracking DAW, yeah. and that's in Lua, which is great. So yeah. I went to Oh, this, so you know Lua already? Uh, yeah, well, a bit to build a, synth, a SysX yeah. synth editor, yeah. Um, but I tried to use this new contact thing to make uh, instruments with for native instruments. I just found there wasn't enough... Uh, support, like how yeah, to use it. They're notorious for not, yeah, they're as bad as me actually. Expect <laughs> everyone to understand how it works. I mean, yeah, but it's it is, the same with the yeah, contact really.
1: scripting language. It's, you know, some of it is, is is so kind of obscure kind of explanations and, and you know, people do kind of stumble across, across things that aren't even mentioned and, and what have you. Mm. Um, which in a way is kind of part of the appeal of it maybe as well, because it is. But I remember there was uh, the first time someone, years ago, someone offered lessons in context scripting and some forum and people got really arsy it's like don't let other people know how we do this this is our secret thing and you know it was quite funny how in forums people can just get arsy about anything
0: yeah I, I mean I've done a couple of tutorials for a friend's website about how to build synth editors in max for live and I do sell quite a lot of synth editors and I'm like oh, yeah. is this a stupid idea this is really stupid <laughs> but what I'm showing really is the absolute basics and um this is what I've told myself. Uh, I've been doing it for like twenty years, and there's so much more to just simply having a knob with a CC on it. Yeah. It's like there's so many more things that actually. It's quite nice that I'm gonna put out how to make it and uh, get people on on the on the track. But yeah, it is a bit of um. I think contact scripting and Max for Live probably quite sort of similar beasts in that. I think Max for is much harder. <laughs> really. Yeah. Well, I I should totally. Uh,
1: put you in touch with my friend who is who does he's in Brighton he he does stage visuals for like Ariana Grande and stuff and he's oh, got wow. these amazing Max rigs that he's built and it's all live visuals and stuff amazing, but you yeah. know he'd be a good guy to do a thing on as well definitely yeah he, a, you know he's a musician who got into Max and then has just taken it to this whole kind of different business level and 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 you know and he's Touring the world with huge bands, doing kind of Max visuals or Jitter and Max visuals. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of nice objects that are just there, ready for you. Yeah. Um, Ned Rush does a, does quite a few tutorials on right. them. He's um, he's a modular guy, I think. Right. But he's doing a lot of YouTube stuff now with Max for Live and, uh, and Ableton. And um, yeah, I'd love to meet that guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm now at the stage. I mean, This, this is, I'm just going to show you this for. I guess maybe I'm showing off. I don't know. Uh, I'm now at the stage where I'm drawing Max for Live devices oh in a notebook, my God, uh, yeah, that's... like uh, in the park. <laughs> so yeah, I'm... that's nice. Yeah, but that's but that's the beauty of code,
1: in a way. When you can, I mean, I can do that a little bit. I can imagine kind of how I, I on a very basic level, how I would code something. And it's there's there's a, there's a kind of real, there is a real beauty in that, isn't there? When you kind of solve solve a problem in an elegant way, kind of via what you're going to do is is you know one of the charms of it isn't it
0: definitely it's really if it, i feel like it's super nerdy like it's ridiculous how many hours i put into it but <laughs> like because i i know the objects that are available yeah. to me the hundreds maybe even thousands of objects yeah. that yeah it's nice to not be in front of a computer and design it and go home and you know it, f- it fucking works so well, you yeah, um, she totally talk to my friend do you? yeah well done, who yeah. called his
1: company video dust
0: without asking me <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> I did tell someone I was going to uh, interview Sound Dust, and they were like, "That's a great name." My friend, um, my friend Adam, who uses a lot of tape loops. Oh okay. He's uh, yeah, he doesn't go near a computer making music. Good for him,
1: because he got some Nagras?
0: What? Oh, that, is that a tape it's machine? Expensive tape machines. No, he uh, he's cassette, I think, and oh, okay. then like uh, yeah, four track. He's he's very old school, but he's got this amazing thing which he's. He won't mind me saying it because I'm not going to mention a model or I don't know what the hell it is, but it's basically an answer phone machine Uh from like 30 or 40 years ago. So it had a tape put in it, but it was from like a BBC building in Manchester somewhere. And he said he's carried this like 18 (laughs) kilo box around with him everywhere he's ever been. And uh, it looks like a one-off sort of piece of equipment, but it's amazing. Ooh. it's really really good it's got one of those like sort of looks like a midi lead power socket oh yes you know? it's just the, yes. like some mad I'll, yeah did switch
1: yeah power thing did Thin yeah. plug those are the
0: days yeah cool um i don't want to i don't sort of go with any of the tropes of podcasting and what are you up to next Or <laughs> how do you but yeah if there's anything you want to sort of talk about or say or anything you uh, that you are work that you've worked on that you're really proud of, perhaps, or something people should check out if they don't know your stuff. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they, well, obviously everything in it, everything, all from of it, Sound Dust, obviously.
0: There are some freebies as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, there? There's freebies. Yeah, for... yeah, some
1: quite nice ones actually, which I sometimes think, yeah, I should have charged for those <laughs> because they're quite good. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a good good selection of freebies and, and what have you. There's actually my with my. Uh, Artist Lindsay Sears as a show just opening in rugby, actually, which if anyone's in rugby, they can go and see that, which has got which is a, a shh, I haven't seen this version of it, but it's um it's a kind of big sound a big film and sound piece mm-hmm. um, with surround sound and stuff i think Oh great! so anyone in rugby should go there oh uh, really. mm. i'm not I'm
0: not a publicist no, <laughs> my friend Jason's like that, and I basically met him i bought one of his pieces of equipment and said let me do your marketing for you um yeah it went pretty well (laughs) but um it's different isn't it i think um you've got a yeah you've got to be motivated by what
1: i just haven't got the energy for it to be honest i you know i'd rather muck about doing what i'm doing than kind of you know do stuff i don't enjoy ultimately so Mm. i mean that's the theme done very well at doing and not doing stuff i don't enjoy or 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 i've at least found a way of enjoying stuff (laughs) maybe that's what it is Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) and what sounds yeah maybe finally like what sounds do you really love that you hear and uh bring you the joy maybe the joy of that radar that's a very
1: interesting question actually i uh I mean the, well, I mentioned it like the Dev soundtrack. There's a few things in that that totally. I thought, wow, how have they done that? I mean, a lot of the time, yeah, I've kind of walk around, kind of you know, analyzing things as well, kind of going, okay, yeah, that's done by this and what that and the other. But it's it's when, when you're kind of a bit stumped on how something was made, I think that's great. I like that. Um, my favorite sound at the moment is I've got a garden spring. I've got a garden. I've got yeah. a garden sprinkler, and it's one of those old school kind of <laughs> ones, and I fucking love it. And I just go and put that on and sit by that. It's just nice. the greatest sound, because it is, you know, it's the sound of summer, and it's what have you. But it is just a really lovely, lovely sound. Um, and if I could make it into an instrument, I would. I suspect it might be quite limited
0: uh, appeal. Do some panning, have panning. <laughs> well, I t- see,
1: I've 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 rec- done some binaural recording of it. But have it, you? have oh, yeah, But it is, you know, essentially, it's doing that anyway because it's kind of moving around as well, doing the spitting thing, mm-hmm. and it's great. I've, it's, I've got a shed which I sit in <laughs> making phone calls, and the sprinkler on the shed um, is just a great thing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could stay there all day. Maybe I should.
0: Um, cool. That's great. Well, um, yeah, I love what you do. I think a lot of people love what you do as well. That's um, very kind. Yeah, they are amazing instruments. And I think it's, yeah, it's great that you're doing, making different things, you know, and, and exploring sounds uh, in the natural world, you know, that is that is a cool thing. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it was really good to speak to Pendle. Uh, he makes incredible things, I think. Uh, do check out his website. Um, I didn't mention at all in that interview that he's done work with uh, Spitfire Audio as well. They've also checked out his stuff and raved about it. Uh, He was also featured on Sonic State not long ago either. So yeah, there's lots of his stuff to check out and try. There are also, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, there were free things that you can get off his his website too. Okay, that's it for this episode of Mediao Meets. And the next episode should be quite a good one. Uh, As long as everything happens. Who knows? Thanks for listening. I'll see you again soon.